Well, praise God for allowing um, him to let me speak today, and uh, thank you so much, Brother Fred, for giving up your pulpit. I know uh, you cherish it as much as I do, and, uh, but God's got a word for us today, and I hope you're listening and ready to hear what God wants to say to you. Let me, let me do this before we go any further. Um, I brought a book with me today that I wrote a few years ago, and I wrote it for my children. And uh, I preached a sermon series called The Seven Feasts of Israel. And how to celebrate them as a New Testament family. And so when I wrote this, I I explained every one of the feasts that's in here. And then how do you celebrate them today as a New Testament family? Church, uh, the Passover lamb was celebrated and was was, uh, sacrificed on Passover. When did Jesus die? On Passover. When was he in the ground? On the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And when did he rise again? On the Feast of Firstfruits. Jesus uh, is the fulfillment of every single one of these feasts. And so I just wrote for my own children, how can we celebrate these as God commands us to do in the Old Testament? And it's the greatest discipleship tool uh, that I could ever give my children. We look forward to doing these seven times a year as we talk about uh, bridging the gap from the Old Testament to the New Testament, pointing to who Jesus is. And so these are available uh, out in the foyer, and you can uh, find one of those um, after the service as well. But let's pray together before we jump into this message and ask God to move and speak in our hearts today. Lord Jesus, today, how desperately we need you. And we pray, God, that you would speak clearly to us. As Samuel prayed, speak, Lord, speak, your servants are listening. And so, God, we're asking for a fresh word today, and we're asking that you move in such a mighty way that none of us can receive the glory from it, but that you, O God, would receive glory and honor from it. But I'm praying, Jesus, that any wall that's been built up from any person in this place, that you would tear it down. And God, that you would give us your ears to hear exactly what you want to say to us today. But move us out of the way. Jesus, you be praised today and you be glorified. We pray these things in your name. Amen. I have a question for you this morning. What do you do when God doesn't show up the way that you thought he would? When I was the interim pastor at a little church in Mississippi before I came to the church that I currently pastor, I was just there for a few weeks, and we had one of our members that was in the hospital, and they delivered. I walked into the hospital room just after they had delivered a stillborn baby. And I did not have to preside over the funeral service, and I was so glad that I did not have to, because in those moments, what do you say in those moments to those parents. Maybe you're here today and you're desperate to be married, but you're not. And every time you go to a wedding, it's a needle in your side every time that you go. Or maybe that you're desperate to be rid of the addiction that is crippling you that possibly nobody knows about but yourself. Or maybe you're desperate to hold your son or your daughter once again and maybe they've walled you out Or maybe they are no longer here. Or maybe you're desperate to get out of your dead-end job, but you don't know what to do, and you just have to continue day after day at the same job that you've been at, and you have no idea what God is leading you towards in your future. Or maybe you're desperate to be pregnant, and you're desperate to have a baby, and, and you cannot. It is physically impossible for you to do. And every baby dedication that you go to It just is a grinding feeling in your heart of saying, God, where are you? 
in my story. Or maybe you're desperate today to have a good marriage. And you've dreamed about having a good marriage. But it has not become a reality yet. Let me tell you, everybody in this room today, including this person on the platform, you have dreams for your future. And you have dreams for your family. And you have dreams for your finances. And you have dreams for your health. And you have dreams for your heart. And you have dreams for your home. Nobody in this room grew up thinking things like this. I'm going to be divorced and alone by the age of 34, and I can't wait. Or I'm going to be ostracized from my kids because of my divorce. Or I'm going to be broke because of my addiction. Or I'm going to get cancer at age 42. Or I'm going to be fired from my job at age 55. Or I can't wait to watch my son or my daughter marry someone that I absolutely hate. Or I can't wait to have my child go to prison so that I can visit them. Or I'm going to bury my two-year-old son who was dragged into the water by an alligator. Nobody envisions those things. Nobody talks that way. Nobody has those dreams for their life. But, but maybe you're here today, and just like the character that we're going to look at, you've been waiting on God to come through for you. And you've been waiting, and you've been waiting, and you've been waiting. And at times, that waiting can get very, very uncomfortable and has the potential to derail your faith. I was flying from Atlanta to Amsterdam on my way to Africa last summer. And it was a group full of uh, pastors from our region that were going with Compassion International. And I had the opportunity to sit in a middle seat for that flight all the way from Atlanta to Amsterdam. And I had a Presbyterian pastor. It must have been ordained that way. All right, he was sitting on this side of me. And a woman that I did not know who was going to have a surgery procedure in Amsterdam was flying with us. And we got to talking, and she realized we were both pastors. And she said, I have my doctorate in theology. And then she said, but I don't believe in God anymore. And so here we are. We're trying to talk with her in a rational sense. Well, have you thought about this, and have you thought about that? Oh, I have my doctorate in theology. I know every argument, and I know every story. And you know, the Holy Spirit gave me a word as I'm sitting next to this woman. And I asked her this question. I said, when was it that you stopped believing in God? What was it? And tears welled up in her eyes. And she said, I asked God for something. And it didn't happen. And so I have reasoned that he no longer exists. And then she said these words to me before I could ever get them out of my mouth. She said, and don't talk with me about surrender. She was hurting. What do you do with those delayed dreams that you've experienced? You know, 
Almost every major Bible character that you've read about in Sunday school or learned about in Vacation Bible School experienced a delayed dream. Did you know that? A time of waiting and waiting and waiting. So the guy that we're going to look at today is named Abraham. Let me give you some, some backstory to him. He was promised a son from whom the entire nation would be birthed and blessed. It's found in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. Listen to what it says. And the Lord had said to Abram, Leave your native, native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. And so Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. Now let me ask you a question. For some of you Bible scholars, how old is Abraham when Isaac is finally born? How old is he? He is 100 years old. So let's do some math here. He's 75 when God gives him the promise. He's 100 when the the promise is fulfilled. How long did Abraham have to wait in a delayed dream? 25 years. 25 years. And you know, when you look at the story of Abraham, he makes some huge blunders and mistakes as he is wrestling with God during this time of waiting for 25 years. And what I have to remind my congregation of all the time and remind myself of is this, is one one of the hardest things that you will ever have to do in your Christian life is wait on God, is wait on God. Because we don't like waiting. We get uncomfortable when it comes to waiting. Well, Abraham finally receives the promise from God. It's found in Genesis 21, starting in verse 1. Let me just read it. It says, The Lord kept his word and did for Sarah exactly what he had promised. She became pregnant, and she gave birth to a son for Abraham in his old age. This happened at just the time that God said it would And Abraham named their son Isaac. So listen, the delayed dream that he's living in for 25 years is finally over. And he's watching this son grow up. So about 15 years into this, he's watching his son grow up and uh, he's envisioning the future with his son and he gets to hold his son every night when he goes to bed and dream about the woman that he's going to marry and how the fulfillment of this promise is going to play out. And you just say to yourself, man, isn't God good in that process? But then, you think the story ends there, but then we get to one of the most tension-filled passages in all of the Bible, and it's Genesis chapter 22. Let me give you this verse, starting in verse 1 of Genesis 22. It says, sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called Yes, he replied, here I am. Now notice the word tested, okay? Right off the bat, we know that God is up to something. This is a test from Almighty God. And this ha- what the severity of the request that God is about to ask has to be seen through this lens. This is a test from Almighty God. Okay, look at verse 2. Take your son, 
your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah, go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. So here's the test. Take your son, Isaac, the one that I gave you, the promised son, the one that I spoke into your life and told you would come about that you've been waiting for for 25 years. Yes, take that son, go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering. Time out. Let's talk about this for one second. You say, well, God's a good God. What, what is he doing talking about child sacrifice? Let me explain. God does not uh, condone child sacrifice, and he never has, and he never will. The Old Testament explicitly forbids it, and God judged nations accordingly who practiced it. And, and God calls the children that are sacrificed by these pagan nations, and, and even by the people of Israel, he says, these are my Children, what you are doing is a horrendous act because God loves children. And I know that this, you can find any church where God's presence is, is because they have a vibrant children's ministry. Is that not right, Brother Fred? We, we love children, and you love children here at this church because God loves children. So why does he call Abraham to do this? Let me give you two reasons. One, you know, this is a picture of Jesus, that Jesus Christ is the sinless substitutionary sacrifice that died on the cross and that God made a way of escape for us by putting our sin upon Jesus Christ. But here's the second thing. This is a test for Abraham's faith. Is Abraham willing to offer God the dream that he has desperately waited to get? You say, but Pastor Matt, I mean, this was God's promise to Abraham, and uh, this is the fulfillment of God's dream in his life. Why on earth would God ask him to give that up? Listen, it's the same thing that God tells us over and over again that we must give up as well. Let me ask you a question. What do you do when the delayed dream finally becomes a reality? What do you do? When you finally get married, and when you finally have children, and when you finally get the dream job that you've always been praying for, and you finally start dating the girl that you've always dreamed about dating, or your career finally takes off, or you finally get your dream home. Well, let me rephrase the request from God to Abraham in this way for your ears. Take your dream. Your only dream, yes, that dream that you love so much. And go and sacrifice that dream as a burnt offering. What do you do when the dream is finally realized? Here's what you do. You give the dream back to God. You give it back to God. Do you know why? You need to know this, that he's going to ask for that dream back. He's going to ask you to surrender that dream to him. He's going to ask you to entrust that dream over to his care. He's going to ask you to allow him to determine the future outcome of that very dream that you've been waiting on. Do you know why? Because it's his dream for you. It is not your dream. It never was your dream and it never was my dream. It is always God's dream that he births within us, but he is going to ask it 
back. Listen, and Brother Fred has taught you this and he's taught me this. There is never a moment in our lives where we are to be unsurrendered to God in any area of our hearts. Never. We are never to be unsurrendered to God. But listen to me. Here's what the devil begins to whisper in our ears and here's where it begins to change. The dream we are given often turns into the idol that we worship. And isn't it interesting that God-given dream actually starts to replace God? How many moms do we have here today? Would you raise your hand? I love moms, okay? And we all love moms. But you've got to think about something about moms and their children. Moms and their children can be a very touchy subject, can't it? Because moms really love their kids. And so they begin, they pray for a child, and then they get the child, and they say, God, you can take time off. I got this. And they hover over their kids. And, and you talk about parenting. We, we talk about parenting so often in my church for that reason, because uh, they think that they have to make the decisions for their family and hover over their kids. And they begin to squeeze so tight that they actually squeeze God out of it. They say things like this, I will protect him or I'm not letting her out of my sight. Now we're not not to be negligent when it comes to parenting, obviously, but understand that it's a God-given dream and it's God's responsibility to see it through. Think about marriages for one second. Maybe you say something like this, oh, I got him and it's my job to keep him. (laughs) Or maybe I'm going to control her so that she does exactly what I want her to do. Or think about finances. Maybe you say something like this, I make this money and I can do with it what I want. Or think about the dream job, I got myself here, it is my job to keep myself here and we begin to squeeze and we begin to squeeze and we begin to own it and we begin to possess that dream and ultimately we begin to worship the dream that God gave to us it could be a child it could be a relationship it could be a physical object it could be a building it could be a ministry it could be any number of things Phil Vischer, who was the founder of VeggieTales, eventually lost everything. He found himself in a courtroom, losing all rights and all control of the company that he had dreamed of, and it actually became a reality. And then he said this about that experience. He said that God showed me that the work that I was doing for him had become greater than my relationship with him. The dream, if it's not ultimately given back to God, will ultimately become your God. And here's why I say this. The dream that you have must have an altercation. An altercation. That dream must be laid on the altar. There's a story by Watchman Nee. And he says this, we approach God like little children with open hands, begging for gifts. Because God is a good God, he fills our hands with good things like life and health and friends and wealth, success, good kids, a good home, a good marriage. 
We rejoice in what we have received and we, we run around comparing what we have with what others have. But at some point when our hands are finally full, God says, my child, I long to have fellowship with you. Reach out your hand and take my hand. But we can't because our hands are full. And God says, put those things aside and take my hand. And we cry, no, we can't. It's too hard to put them down. And God says, but I am the one who gave them to you in the first place. Oh God, what you have asked for is too hard. Please don't ask us to put those things aside. And God answers quietly, you must. When my children were little, we put them all in a crib, you know. And, you know, you get them in the rocking chair and you sing to them and you go to put them to bed. You pray over them, you go to put them to bed. And when you scoop up that child to lay them in the crib, what does it look like? It looks like what? An offering, a sacrifice. And so every time I would put one of my kids in the bed, I would just say, okay, God, these children belong to you. They're not mine. And you, you can have them back. I give them to you. Some of you are sweating right now because you think, man, I would never want to do that because I don't know where God would take my children or what he would do with my children. And folks, listen, if that's what you're thinking, you don't know who God is. One time I was in my study, and I have a chair. I had a, in my former study, I moved studies, but I had a chair in my study. And I had an altercation in my study several years ago. And I was in there and I just felt God impressing upon me, take everything out of your pockets and you lay them and you make this an altar for me. And I did. I took out my cell phone that has my calendar, it has pictures of my family, and I threw it in the chair and I took out the keys to my vehicle, the keys to my house, the keys to my office, and I said, God, you own everything, you can have everything. I took out my wallet that has my driver's license, the money that I have, and the credit cards that I own, and I said, God, you can be in control of my finances. I took out everything. I took off my watch, and I said, God, you can control my time. I began taking pictures of my children, and I began throwing them in the chair, and I took pictures of my wife, and I began throwing them in the chair, and I just said, okay, God, I'm, I'm giving everything over to you in this process. You can have whatever you want from me. And he, he gripped me at that moment. And I had an altercation with God as a result of that. You know, one of the popular television shows right now is on HGTV. It's called Fixer Upper. Am I know that show? Chip and Joanna Gaines. You know that they know Jesus and they love Jesus. There was a, a recent article about her. And listen to what she says. She says, shortly after opening Magnolia Store for the first time, Joanna made a heartbreaking decision to close the successful little shop so that she could spend more time with her family. And just like that, Joanna trusted God's plan and said goodbye to everything she'd worked so hard to build so that she could be at home with her beautiful babies. And Joanna shared, I remember the last day, you know, we were closing the shop down and I'm crying because it is the end of a dream. And I feel like God, I hear God say very clearly 
very clearly, Joanna, if you trust me with your dreams, I'm going to take Magnolia further than you could have ever dreamed. So just trust me. I remember hearing that and feeling completely peaceful about it, and I walked away. There's a a phrase that's been floating around our church, and it goes like this. When you can't see, trust what God sees. And let me just tell you, and the reason why we've been talking about that is because God sits on the top of a skyscraper, and he can see all the way around at every corner. And he says, when, when you can't see what's coming around the corner, you have to trust and see what God sees in that process. But when you can't see... You have to trust what God sees. So Abraham, for 25 years he waits on God for the fulfillment of the dream. And then God says, okay, I want you to take that dream and I want you to sacrifice that dream to me. I'm going to tell you as a result of that, he experiences five things. And I'm going to tell you something about this passage. You cannot experience these five things until you come to the altar in your life. You can't do it. These five things will be missing from from your spiritual existence until you have an altercation with Almighty God. Here's the first one. Here's the first thing that you will experience, and that is genuine peace. Genuine peace. In this account of Abraham... In Genesis 22, you don't see him in conflict. Now, he may have been in conflict, but you don't see him in conflict. Look at verse 3 of Genesis 22. It says, The next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey, and he took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. And then he chopped wood for a fire, for a burnt offering, and he set out for the place that God had told him about. And in the passage, it shows him he walks up the mountain. He takes the knife. He's ready to do whatever God commands him to do. He's completely surrendered to God in that moment. And as a result of that, he's in complete peace. Listen to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 19. It says that Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. And that's what the altar brings you. It brings you genuine peace. There was a story about a man that was struggling and struggling and struggling about giving his business to God. And the Lord, every time he came into church, the Holy Spirit would just say, it's mine. You need to give that business to me. And finally, he did that one day. He had an altercation. And he said, okay, God, you can have my business. In the middle of the night, that same night, he got a phone call, come down to your business. He drove around the corner, and guess what? He saw his business going up in flames, in flames, engulfed. And so a neighbor came over and said, what are you going to do about this? And he said, listen, I gave my business to God this morning. He can do whatever it is that he wants to do with that business. It's his problem. It's not mine. But how on earth could he ever say that unless he had an altercation? But he was in complete peace at that moment as a result of an altercation. Let me tell you the second thing. The second thing is this that you will experience, and that is true worship. True worship. Look at verses 4 and 5. It says, on the third day of their journey, 
Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little further. We will worship there, and then we will come right back. Do you know what Abraham viewed this as? (laughs) He viewed this as a time of worship, as a time of worship. And I'm going to say this, you cannot fully worship God until you come to the altar. Listen to Romans chapter 12, verse 1. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Can I tell you, when I had an altercation with God in my office, and I'm on my knees, and I, tears are coming down my face, it was a moment of worship between me and Almighty God. Do you think Joanna Gaines, when she gave her business to God, in that quiet little moment, she began worshiping God like she had never had before because she said, God, I trust you. In those moments where I'm taking my children and I'm hanging them over uh, and I'm just saying to God, you can have these kids, they're yours, they're not mine. Folks, that is a declaration of worship before God. And you cannot worship God fully in that way until you have an altercation from Almighty God. Here's the third thing that you'll receive. One is genuine peace. Two is true worship. And the third is this, and that is a divine encounter. A divine encounter. Genesis chapter 22, verses 9 through 12, it says, Arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it, and then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. And at that moment, the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Don't hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Hey, he experienced the life-changing manifestation presence of Almighty God. It was a divine experience. And he went to the altar, and that's who, and God showed up in that moment. And, and you will never have the realization of the tangible, awesome presence of Almighty God until you are willing to come to the altar in your own life. Whatever it is, whatever the dream is that you're holding on to, you will never experience the, the manifest presence of Almighty God until you do that. I had the opportunity and the privilege uh, to work at Bellevue Baptist Church with Adrian Rogers before he passed away. And I remember Dr. Rogers saying this, and he said, I don't tell this to very many people, but he said, in my study, when I'm alone with God, he said, I raise my hands three times before I begin worshiping him or before I begin reading my Bible. And he said, first thing I do is, he said, I raise my hands in praise. I just say, Lord, I praise you today. And then he says, Lord, I I raise my hands receiving. (laughs) Whatever it is that you want from me, whatever you want from me, you can put into my hands. I'll receive it. And then he says, I raise my hands in surrender. Lord, you got me. (laughs) You got me. You can have me. And you know what I do in my own personal quiet time? I do this. I do this. And I do this. Because I want that. I want that from God. But I want to experience the life-changing presence 
of the risen Jesus Christ. Look at the fourth thing that you will experience. And that is this supernatural provision. Supernatural provision. Look at verses 13 through 14. It says, Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. And so he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham named the place Yahweh Yireh, which means the Lord will provide. And to this day, people still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The altar gets you to a point where you are unable to do anything in your own power and you are waiting on God to do everything in his power. And I'm telling you, God begins to show up in your life in supernatural ways and provide for you personally or for a church corporately when when a church is dedicated to being at the altar supernatural things begin to happen and provision begins to take place like you've never seen before but that will never happen until you first come to the altar okay here's the fifth thing right here the fifth thing is this and that is you will receive full blessing and there's a reason why I put full blessing in here look at verses 15 through 18 It says, then the angel of the Lord called out again to Abraham from heaven. This is what the Lord says. Because you've obeyed me and have not withheld even your son, your only son, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. And your descendants will conquer the cities of of their enemies. And through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed all because you have obeyed me. Abraham, because you've laid your dream on the altar, I'm going to take that dream and show you the full extent of that dream. Something that I tell my children all the time, and it's this phrase, obedience always brings blessing. Obedience to God always brings blessing. And you can... uh, Bank that and put that down because that's a promise in the word of God. When we obey God, listen, he promises to bless us in whatever way he chooses to do so. And that may not be the way that we think we need to be blessed. But he does it because he's faithful to his word. But God blessed Abraham to the fullest extent that he possibly could because of his obedience and his altercation to almighty God. Now, notice how this passage ends in verse 19. And I love this verse. It says, Then they returned to the servants and traveled back to Beersheba, where Abraham continued to live. (laughs) Can I tell you something? Abraham did not know what living was until he had an altercation. And now he truly began to live as a result of his altercation. And I'm going to say this to you because Brother Fred understands it as well. You will never begin to to truly live until you first come to the altar. You never will. You say, well, Pastor Matt, no. I mean, I can do it on my own. I can, I can try to fake it. I can have a religious experience. I can have God and have myself too. No, you cannot. You cannot. You will never know what it means to live in the fullness and the power of Almighty God until you first have an altercation. You never will. You say, well, Pastor Matt, what's he asking me to do? Huh. What's your dream? What's the dream in your life that you're holding on to? Is it your house? Is it your job? 
Is it your marriage? Is it the, your particular sin or addiction? Uh, is it your children? Is it your ball field, your ball team? Is it your ministry? Is it your church? I don't know. I don't know what it is. But whatever it is, God says it belongs to me. It's never yours. It always belongs to me. My question to you this morning is, are you willing to have an altercation with Almighty God? Are you willing? Let me just say this. How do you get there? You understand that God is good and that God has great things in store for you and that you can trust him as our heavenly father. And you can understand that God loves you and that when you offer yourself to him, he takes care of you and that God can be trusted in all things. But what is it today that God is asking for you to give up? I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. But I had an altercation. You say, well, what was that about? The Spirit of God was in my study. And he just said, Matt, this is what you have to do. And I just said, okay. Uh, an altercation should be a daily experience for a child of God. But it has to start somewhere. It has to start somewhere. So I don't know what it is for you today, but I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will show you. 